Morning. Uh, you know, if you're a uh, football fan, you might be familiar with the name Chan Gailey. Uh, Gailey was the head coach at Georgia Tech. Uh, he also coached in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills, even the Dallas Cowboys at one point. Uh, but back in the 80s, uh, Gailey was the head coach of a tiny school, Division II school in Alabama called Troy State. And Gailey had coached Troy State to the national championship for Division II. It was sort of a big moment in his life. And he was out practicing because the national championship game was going to be later that week. And his secretary ran out on the field. And she said, uh, Coach Gailey, you have a, a call in the office. And he said, oh, this is, you know, this is not really the time. You know, it's national championship week. I don't really need to take a call right now. And she said, well, it's, but, it's, but it's Sports Illustrated, the magazine. Well, I guess I'll take the call. So he starts walking back to the office, and he's thinking on the walk. He's like, oh, this is going to be so good for Troy State, just the publicity. He starts thinking, you know, this, is, this can't just be like a back page story. This is, this is a cover story. This is three pages. This is four pages. He starts thinking, now when I'm on the cover, should I pose? Like, do, do, do we do an action shot? And he's just dreaming and dreaming and dreaming. Well, he gets in the office, and he picks up the phone, and Sports Illustrated says, uh, is this Chan Gailey? He says, yes, certainly. Yes, this is Chan Gailey. And they say, well, this is uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, we just want to let you know that y- your subscription is running out. Would you like to <laughs> renew? <laughs> True story. And I just think, I always think of that story because it's so indicative of our human nature. We are so prone to pride. We'll take every opportunity we can to form a higher opinion of ourselves than necessary. And pride is often our undoing. Uh, Our very own John McCormick gave a message on this uh, last year when he talked about that pride is so often at the root of our sin. But, okay, what if we flip that discussion around? What if if we're talking about the opposite side? So if we're trying to avoid sin— If instead we're trying to develop virtues, what is the chief virtue? What is at the root of virtue? Uh, Virtue isn't a word that we throw out all that often anymore, but a virtue is basically a a quality or trait, uh, even a behavior that is morally good. Uh, So, for example, you might know that patience is a virtue, right? But so is kindness and courage and generosity and honesty and contentment and so on and so forth. Virtues are these inward attitudes, or they can't even be outward behaviors that we aspire to as Christians because we want to be like Christ. So if pride is typically at the root of our undoing, what's at the root of what's really going to build us up spiritually? Now, I, I want to tell you this morning that there's one particular virtue that is a gateway to so many other virtues in your life, a chief virtue, if you will, and that is the virtue of humility. Now, we've got to be careful here because when a lot of people think of humility, they're not actually thinking of the right thing. I say humility, and you think of someone who is uh, quiet or shy or meek or someone who's always kind of down on themselves. That's, that's not what humility is. Uh, there's an old saying that goes, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Uh, here's how I would biblically define humility. Humility is this. It's when you assess yourself accurately especially in light of your sinfulness and God's greatness. Now, I would say, and I, I would venture to say that you probably agree with me, this is not the strong suit of Americans. 
Like, there are plenty of countries in the world that people could visit and say, wow, what a humble people. The United States of America is not one of those countries. <laughs> we are the country that teaches our children that they are incredibly special and unique and talented and amazing. They are all worthy of trophies for breathing. Uh, in fact, there was a Gallup study uh, done way back in 1950. Uh, and Gallup was kind of the premier polling organization for a long time. Uh, Gallup asked high school seniors in 1950 if they thought they were an important person. And in 1950, 12% of high school seniors thought they were an important person. They asked the same question in 2005. And in 2005, an astounding 80% of 12th graders thought they were an important person. Uh, I would venture to say that, you know, with the rise of social media and self-promotion and YouTube, that that number is probably even higher in 2019. We are a culture that teaches the next generation that whatever they believe is true, no matter how illogical it is, we are the culture that teaches kids that they can do anything that they want as long as they just put their mind to it. And all of those things together, cumulatively, do not foster humility. We, as a people, as American Christians, are desperately in need of the teaching of the Word of God on this topic. We're not going to learn humility from our culture. Okay, so how does one become humble? We're going to get to that, but first, I, I think I really need to explain how is humility the chief virtue, the gateway to so many other virtues? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually give you five reasons, because I just think it's easier to follow along this way, of how and why humility functions as this chief virtue, this gateway virtue, to helping you be more like Christ. Okay, so here we go. Number one, if you want to take notes, uh, it's on the screen for you. Uh, please pray for me, too. I, if you can't tell, I'm obviously just, I got some nasty cold or something, and I sound really weird to myself, but all right. Okay, I'm going to make it, and it's going to be okay. All right. Number one, humility is the doorway to you understanding God's grace. We'll put that back up there in just a second. Uh, Romans 12.3, Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. What does that mean, to not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but with sober judgment? Well, one of the things we can do is we can go back to where we were two weeks ago in the book of Luke when we were talking about judgment day. And when you think about that, we think, well, I should not think of myself more highly than I ought because when Jesus Christ on the throne reads through my list of sins on Judgment Day, my opinion of how great I am will never be lower <laughs> than it will in that moment, but it also never will be more accurate than it will in that moment. Uh, over the past year or two, sometimes when I think of humility, I just define it very simply in my mind. This is how I think of it. I, I think humility is a commitment to reality. See, all, all pride does for you is pride paints this false and distorted view of reality. But if you come to God in reality, you come to God in humility, and you realize how big your sin is, actually is, you'll be able to see how great God's grace for you really is. Uh, we talked about this last fall. Uh, we were in Luke chapter 7, 
I was in a message called The View from Below. And one of the things we studied is Jesus says, those who, have been for, those who think that they've been forgiven little, I don't really have that much sin, those who think that they've been forgiven little, love little. See, but if in humility, if in humility you realize that your sins are many, that your sins are great, and yet God, in his great love for you, forgave you anyway, your humility will ignite a passion and a love for God. Okay, another great thing about humility that really leads to so many other things is humility allows you to be led and powerfully used by God. This is number two. I look at uh, Psalm uh, 25. Psalm 25 says this. It says, He, God, guides who? The humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So if you grow in humility, one of the promises to you from the Lord is that he will guide you if you grow in humility. Now, if you think about this, this actually makes perfect sense. Uh, The prideful person doesn't feel like they need God's help. They feel that they're fine. They don't feel that they need to come to God and ask for help in situations like uh, maybe they have a really difficult situation at work. The prideful person's not going, I need to ask the Lord for help in this. If you have a really difficult situation in your family right now, maybe even your extended family, the prideful person's not going to the Lord about it and asking for guidance. In fact, prayerlessness is one of the most obvious symptoms of a prideful heart. And so, if you're here this morning, and you're a person who doesn't pray very often, and your prayer life is uh, maybe not one that you would (laughs) ask others to aspire to, there's a very high chance that you're dealing, maybe ever so subtly, with a lack of humility. Because your pride has told you that you don't need to pray. It's not a value in your life. See, but the humble person comes to God often. Because the humble person has assessed themselves accurately, they are committed to reality, and so they know that they're just a lowly human. And that the God of the universe has offered to help them, so why in the world would they not take him up on that offer? Now the humble person lets go of what God needs to do in their life. And instead, they're seeking God for direction. So it's not hard to see how humility is then leading to so many other good things in your life. Right? If, if, because of your humility, you are asking God to be at the helm of your ship and to guide your life, you can see how that's going to lead to so many other good things. But if, on the other side, you've said to God, you know what, <clears throat> I think I basically got this, why don't you kind of stay below deck? You can see how it's not going to be the same. Okay, third reason why humility is just, it leads to so many other positive spiritual things in your life. Humility leads to praise. So if you grow in humility, you will grow in your praise of God. This is so, so important. Uh, Many theologians for centuries have said that the chief aim of humanity is to glorify God, is to live your life in such a way that your life gives credit and glory to God, and that your lips give credit and glory to God. And so yet pride always will operate in the exact opposite direction. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Uh, we take our kids uh, to the library a lot. 
And about six months ago, uh, one of my kids, sometimes I just grab random books off the shelves. Uh, one of my kids grabbed this really great book randomly called Rory the Dinosaur, Me and My Dad. And it's this awesome book. It's just such a great illustration for what we're talking about. In fact, let's do, we haven't done this in a couple of years. Let's do a little story time with David. Is that okay? Okay, let's, all right. We're, I'm going to read you a, a, a part of a children's book. Oh, thank you, Cam. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, so Rory the dinosaur, his dad is off doing something in their house, and he's decided that he's going to go off on his own, and he's going to explore the island, even though he's way too young to do that. So we're going to start kind of in the middle of the book on his explorations, okay? Are you ready? I think I'm going to need this blanket here. It just feels right. <clears throat> okay, here we go. We, I put it on the screen for you so you can see the pictures. All right. Soon, he, Rory, is on his way to find an adventure all by himself. And he says, I'm running away all by myself. <laughs> Rory walks and walks until he gets to a river, but he isn't allowed to swim without his dad. What am I going to do? Says Rory. So we see, Rory looks around for a way to cross. Luckily, he notices some rocks he can use as steps. You see his dad in the river? I can cross all by myself. <laughs> all right. Next page. Rory walks some more and stops when he reaches the jungle. Suddenly, he sees a wild pig running right toward him. Rory is scared of wild pigs, but he wants to be brave. He lets out a big roar <laughs> and frightens the pig away. I scared it all by myself. After so much walking, it's time for lunch. But Rory forgot his coconut water. Oh, man. Dad usually packs my drink for me. Just as Rory considers skipping lunch, after all, a peanut butter and chocolate chip sandwich just isn't the same without a drink, a coconut falls from the tree above him and breaks in half. I found something to drink all by myself. After lunch, it begins to rain. Rory looks everywhere for shelter, but he can't find anything to keep him dry. Suddenly, the rain stops right where he's standing. I found a dry spot all by myself, says Rory. Now, when I read that book, I just thought, what? This is such a great illustration of our life, right? Because we accomplish things all the time that really our Heavenly Father is allowing for us to accomplish, right? But because we're not looking for Him, we don't notice what He's doing. And thus, in our pride, we take credit for it by saying, look what I did all by myself. But remember, humility is a commitment to reality. It's a commitment to putting on your spiritual glasses and seeing that it is God who is providing for you. It is God, your Father, who is moving in your life. I'm telling you, humility is such a gateway to growth in your faith. But I want you to see how it's not just on this sort of philosophical level, it's just on a real behavioral level, this is true too. So let's look at a real behavioral virtue now of self-control. And this really is the fourth one, that humility leads to self-control. And I think we all need self-control, right? We want it, right? To better avoid lust, while well, you may be looking at your phone, uh, to better avoid gluttony, Right when you've, you forget to pack your lunch for work one day and you decide that, oh, I'll just get the triple burger at Wendy's instead of the salad I told my spouse I would get, right? <laughs> to better avoid impulse buying that some of you do on Amazon, like all day long, right? We want self-control. We need self-control. But how do you get self-control? 
Self-control actually begins with humility. Now, I think a lot of people haven't made this connection. I, I would tell you that one of the main reasons that Americans struggle so greatly with self-control is because our American solution to almost everything is just work harder. Is you can do it. You can do it, just put your mind to it, and you can do it. But that is a really terrible way to get self-control in your life. In fact, you're just going to realize that all the more, the more work you put into it, that you can't actually do it, and that's going to make you even more defeated. I think of AA, right? Or really any recovery group. It could be Narcotics Anonymous or Gamblers Anonymous. These are people that are trying to get self-control, right? They've got a habit, and they want mastery over this issue. So what's their success based in? How's the person who's trying to get self-control over alcohol or drugs, how do they get it? They actually get it through humility. I don't know how familiar you are with the 12 steps of any recovery program, but just look at the first three. So they're based in humility. Look at step one, or I'll say it. It's not on the screen. Step one of any recovery program is this. We admitted that we were powerless over, insert whatever, alcohol, food, gambling, heroin, We admitted that we were powerless and our lives had become unmanageable. What is that? That's humility, which is actually just a commitment to reality, right? Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, it's humility, could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God. That's humility. See, you actually begin to have self-control. You begin to have power over your sins, not by trying harder to conquer them, but by becoming humble so that you'll actually call on God's power. I think there's so many of these sort of behavioral behavioral, uh, life application virtues that we could dive into. We can't get to all of them today, but we're doing this series for three weeks. So next week, I want you to come back because we're really going to dive into how humility needs to play out in community. And really, how it's humility that leads to the virtues of love in Christian community and kindness and all of those things. Okay, fifth reason. And then we're going to get to, well, how do you actually become humble? Fifth reason why humility is really this gateway virtue, this chief virtue. And that is humility actually leads to honor. So, humility leads to honor, but pride leads to dishonor. So pride comes before a fall, as Proverbs famously says. So if you're trying to be great, and everything is you just trying to promote yourself to be great, well, the general spiritual proverb is that eventually that's not going to lead to you being great. That's going to lead to you being humbled, probably publicly, perhaps embarrassingly. Jesus actually says this a number of times in Scripture. On Matthew 23, 12, for instance, he says, for those who exalt themselves, right, they're propping themselves up in pride, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Solomon says it this way in Proverbs. He says, but before a downfall, the heart is haughty. It's prideful, boastful. But humility comes before honor. How does that work? Well, over time, what happens is humility actually leads, because this is gateway virtue, to so many other admirable virtues in your life. And people will see those in your life, and they will respect you. They will respect you as a coworker, 
They'll respect you as a, as a mom or a dad. They'll, eventually, they'll really respect you as a grandparent, a grandfather, a grandmother, because your life, your virtuous life, will have earned their respect. That's where humility actually leads to honor, like Solomon says. Now, we use that honor not for ourselves, like, oh, look at me, because that's using humility to get pride, and that's really messed up, right? We use that as a platform to point to Jesus. But pride always leads the opposite way, which is really confusing in a social media world, right, where we're all supposed to just sort of self-promote ourselves to the world. But it doesn't work. Like we're always thinking about ourselves. We're always talking about ourselves. You can't lead anybody anywhere. It reminds me, I remember reading years ago about this a pastor who was asked to uh, officiate a funeral. And at the end of the funeral, they asked him if he would lead uh, kind of the processional uh, from the funeral to the cemetery. You know, when you have the line of cards, everybody turns their lights on during the day and you go out to the cemetery. So the pastor was the lead car and he was driving to the cemetery. But like a lot of us, he was totally lost in thought. When he was driving. You ever do this? You're like, how did I end up here, right? So he's driving, he's just lost in thought, and he's thinking about himself. He's thinking, oh, I wonder what people thought of me as I spoke at the funeral. Maybe they were impressed, right? And he's thinking about his day and all the things he has to do. And as he's driving, he sees a Kmart, which, remember those, uh, rest in peace. I'm sure they're around somewhere. Anyway, uh, sorry if you work at Kmart. Um, so he's, he's driving, and he sees a Kmart, and comes to his thoughts that, oh, that's right, I made a mental note earlier today that I gotta pick something up at Kmart. And he's lost in his thought, he's totally preoccupied with himself, and so he pulls into a Kmart parking lot, true story. And as he's looking for a parking spot, he looks in his rearview mirror, and to his horror, he sees a line of cars behind him with their lights on. And it's a good illustration because if you are always preoccupied with yourself, you can't lead anybody anywhere good let alone yourself. So how do we actually, if, if humility is such a chief virtue, if it's such a gateway virtue, how do we actually become humble? Because that means that's really important to your Christian walk. It is so important that you become humble. I'm just going to give you a few kind of things that you can do. Firstly, you're going to have to start by acknowledging your pride your high opinion of yourself. And you're going to have to acknowledge that is a major problem in your life. As you, you, you live your life typically believing that you know what's right in any given situation. That typically, as you look out at the other people, maybe even some of the people you saw already here today, that you think that you're better than them. You recognize that in general, that you think of yourself way too much in fact, one of the things I want to dare you to do is count how many times you think of yourself in one day. You probably can't count that high. C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote this. He said, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. At least nothing, whatever, can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, prideful, it means you are very conceited. Indeed. So anyone here is going, I don't really know if I struggle with pride. You're in the upper echelons of pride. Uh, over this maybe early summer, late spring, I feel like the Lord really opened my eyes up to this concept in Scripture of humility really being the chief 
virtue. And so I've been thinking about this particular concept uh, daily for the last three or four months. So on my prayer list, one of the things that pops up on my Echo prayer app that I use every day is uh, it just says, humility, the chief virtue. Pray for it, seek it, humble yourself. And I have to tell you, as somebody who's spent like the last 90 days thinking a lot about this topic, I am completely mortified by the depth and pervasiveness of my own pride. Now, it isn't as simple as I'm walking around every day going, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? That's, pride usually doesn't work that way. Like, it's a lot more sly than that. It's a lot more devious than that. It's, it's in the little things. It's in how I look at other people. Right, we're all really good at noticing faults in other people, which really, we usually notice the faults that aren't also conveniently our faults, right? And then we think, oh, I don't do that. But I've just been thinking, well, what does that do? Well, what it does is it hinders a really other important virtue in my life, and that's the virtue of love. Jesus wants me to love other people, and I'm unable to do it at the capacity he wants me to because my pride I'm better than them. I can't believe they made that mistake. My pride is hindering me from carrying out that next step virtue. Uh, it's in how I take credit for things. Right? Amazing things happen through our church, through my life, through my family. And I go, huh, David, I just, because uh, I talk to myself, and I think, David, you just did a really good job lining that up. And I take credit for it. And what does that do? Well, that hinders God moving more in my life. You know why? Because God is going to use somebody else who's actually going to give him glory and give him credit. Uh, the pride is pervasive and it is devious in how I think that I've got things figured out in my life. Right? Well, I know what to do. I don't really need to pray about this. I've already got a general direction. And it limits how often I seek God for direction, which means more than likely I'm probably even walking in the wrong direction. Our pride is so pervasive. And it's like gangrene that just grows through our whole spiritual walk and it will severely limit your maturity in Christ. So we start, we start by acknowledging that pride is a major and pervasive problem in our lives. Secondly, one of the things you want to do if you want to combat pride, you want to develop the chief virtue of humility, is you just have to think of yourself less often. Uh, I heard one of my heroes, uh, Timothy Keller, I try and just read or listen to you every single week. He, he said, one time he said, okay, if one of your coworkers uh, comes into the office and they say, boy, yeah, boy, my elbows feel great today. <laughs> That's really weird, right? You're going to say to yourself, oh, this person's super weird, and then you're going to say, the only reason that anybody would ever utter the sentence, my elbows feel really great today, is because previously their elbows must not have been feeling great. Because if your elbows are healthy, they don't naturally draw attention to themselves, right? You never think about your elbow unless something is wrong with it. Ever thought about that? And Keller says, it's the exact same way with your ego, your sense of self. So if you are spiritually healthy, which means that you are spiritually humble, we won't be constantly thinking about how we're doing 
and how we're looking or what other people might be thinking about us, if we're spiritually healthy and humble, that actually won't even cross our minds. We wouldn't be constantly just looking to our own interests. We would, as a healthy person, be instead taking that same mind space to look at the interests of others and the interests of our God. So we acknowledge that we're ridiculously prideful. We stop thinking about ourselves so much. And then really, I think the third piece of how you really can begin, this is just the initial beginning, right? But begin to humble yourself is you look more and more to your God. You take a good, hard look at God. The God of the Bible. Who's the God of the Bible? The God of the Bible is the one who looks on us miserable sinners with love. Like a father who looks at their newborn son or daughter for the first time. But this is also a God, the Bible says, who made the planets, who made the stars, who made the sun. This is a God who created everything we see. This is the God who holds your life in the palm of his hands. This is the God who has numbered your days. See, a life of worship, of looking at the greatness, the majesty of God, also fosters humility. John Flavel once said it this way, and I think this is really well said. They that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. See, I I just keep going back to Rory the Dinosaur. I just think it's funny somehow how God speaks to us, right? So when I was reading this book to my kids for the first time, and I was looking at the Father in some of these pictures, it just hit me what God did for us, God our Father. That he came down as we wandered away in our sin, that he came down to our dirty world. And out of his care for us, out of his love for us, he was scratched up and beaten and stretched out on a tree. And he gave his life so we could live. And I think if I looked at that more every day, I would less often, because right now it's way too often, I would less often say, I did this all by myself. May we look up this week. May we see what God is actually doing for us. And may our humility be a gateway to more of his life in us. Let me pray. Lord, we just want to humble ourselves today as we come in worship. God, we're just so thankful that you would come after us. God, as we go off on our own, as we run from you, as we think that we can do all these things by ourselves, God, that you come for us and you provide for us. You are just a good, good father. And we just love you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.